Hi, I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. You're listening to She Said, She Said. entrepreneurs and disruptors Alexa Buckley and Sarah Pearson have taken the shoe business by storm with an innovative size inclusive model that is upending the market. Their idea has landed both entrepreneurs on the Forbes under 30 list. And by the way, both Alexa and Sarah are still a few years away from their 30th birthdays. At least part of the inspiration for all of this was born out of frustration at not being able to find a shoe that would take them from place to place without the so-called shoe shuffle. Who hasn't experienced that? I'm talking to Alexa and Sarah today about their journey, about working together as partners, and their advice for pursuing a passion even when everyone tells you you're too young or it's never been done before. Alexa and Sarah, welcome to She Said, She Said. Thank Thank you you for having us. I'm so thrilled to be here with you. I'm a big fan of your product, as you know. And we're big fans of yours. Thank you. Thank you very much. So let's start with the Margot concept. Explain what's really unique about what you're doing. Yeah, so the, the idea was born out of, you know, exactly like you said, our frustration with the shoe shuffle. With so this notion that so many women have to wear a pair of shoes to get them somewhere and then shuffle into another pair when they arrive and have an extra pair under their desk or that rack under their desk or in their drawer. Um, and Sarah and I sort of stepped back and said, there should be and could be a shoe that makes women feel as beautiful as they do comfortable and that they can start and end their day in. And so as we sort of dug into the engineering of creating this perfect wear everywhere shoe, we came to realize that it is as much about the engineering and the technical design as it is about the fit and size offering that our customers have access to. So um, we launched the business in 2015 with a single product and what makes us special and what makes all of our products special since then is that each of them come in narrow, medium, and wide widths and an extended size range from a size two to a 14 and a half, um, all designed with comfort in mind. Yeah, now Sarah, I assume if this were an easy thing to do, everyone would already be doing it. Exactly. (laughs) How challenging has this been? It has been challenging in so many ways, uh, but also thrilling in the challenge. So, you know, if it were easy, again, like you said, everybody would be doing it. So I I think the biggest challenge that we had to overcome in the early days, um, it really was convincing our, our factories and our suppliers and the people who had the technical expertise that we needed to really make the product of the validity of the idea. So really, you know, what we suggested in in carrying this extended size range and carrying these three widths in introducing a made-to-measure concept for those customers who needed, you know, perhaps an extra narrow or two different sizes for the right and left foot, it really, you know, was unheard of in in today's footwear world. And especially being two 22-year-old women at the time Mm -hmm. in an industry that's you know, largely still male-dominated. So if you think about most of the footwear brands that are iconic, they're um, founded by male designers. A lot of the factories are 
run by men and, and have been for generations. And so we were outsiders in every sense of the word. Uh, we know outsiders uh, because we were women, outsiders because we were so, so young, and outsiders because we had no idea how to make a pair of shoes, but we knew what we wanted to do, and we knew that, that we had the passion and the persistence to do it. Uh, and that really has been our greatest advantage is having that persistence and that kind of single-mindedness about the concept um, and, and creating that wear-everywhere shoe. And we started small. We started with one style and gradually and slowly and surely added style by style until we have the collection that we have today. Yeah. What were some of those early reactions that you got from potential factory partners and others? <laughs> you two march in, <laughs> 22, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed at 22 with this big idea that people are not doing. And what was the reaction? This is absolutely not the way that we do things. <laughs> and... Like Sarah said, it probably was and is our greatest advantage, kind of not knowing and understanding the way that things are done so that we can kind of step back and question, well, why not? Um, why can't we put memory foam padding in the shoes? Why can't we, instead of launching 17 styles this season, launch just one, but promise our customers that we've been working on just this one for a year and a half and that we deliver this silhouette to them, whether it be a loafer or a heel or a ballerina, it will be their perfect version of that. Um, and so... Being outsiders, like Sarah said, allowed us to ask those questions because we had sort of no previous notion of the way that things were done. Um, we certainly heard no many, many, many times from designers and factories before we found the one that we work with today. And, um, you know, they took a chance on us in the beginning, and they've been phenomenal partners ever since. Walk me through what happens. You have an idea for, for a design or maybe even the initial shoe that you started with. So start mm -hmm. from that point you get a design and then what happens next mm -hmm. so it really started with this idea that we could make a shoe that could carry you from the minute you step out of your door in the morning until the minute that you return in the evening and not have to do that shoe shuffle between your flats or your sneakers and your heels and so we knew that we wanted to start with a flat because we felt that the flat really needed to be elevated and rethought and reinvented and so that was our classic flat and that was the cornerstone of the collection and, and our first product for the first year. And, and the way that we went about designing that product was once we knew that we wanted to create this elegant wear everywhere flat, we then went through you know, a trove of products from vintage references to you know, just unique ideas that we had to other shoes that we knew were well loved on the market for different aspects. We were able to combine all of those things and take those ideas to the factory in Spain and really engineered this shoe from the ground up for both comfort and fit. And it starts with the mold or the last um, that, that really gives the shoe its shape. And so it's a sculptural process. You work with a last maker who's shaving this into to being by hand and uh, you know iterated on that countless times. And, and then once we had the mold, we iterated on the pattern countless times. And so often when we're developing a style, it takes you know, a year to a year and a half to really get the fit right because we're so technical about fit and often you're making adjustments of millimeters because that's really what matters when it comes to shoes. So it's a, a very labor-intensive process. It's a lot of sampling. It's a lot of uh, testing. It's a lot of wear testing. So taking the shoes out on the street and seeing how they respond, you know, over a day, over two days, over a week, over a month, and then adjusting from there. 
You started online and now are open in the process of opening pop-ups, which is what you're doing in Washington, D.C. Actually, right now, you've just opened your first pop-up here in Georgetown. So talk about the transition from an online to pop-ups and sort of what the thinking is behind that. Yes, the evolution of retail for our business has been one of the greatest surprises, I think, um, since we first launched in 2015. Um, as an online brand and e-commerce only. And it really began after we had a very lucky break and were featured in the New York Times shortly after launching. And somehow word got out where our office was. And we were in a co-working space at the time. And we had women showing up to the lobby of the co-working office asking to try on the shoes. And so, of course, we would do it. But in a setting of a lobby next to several other entrepreneurs <laughs> creating apps, <laughs> creating other things, it was not necessarily the setting we were looking for. So we decided to get our own office with a studio in the front where we could kind of understand what offline looked for our business. And it became a tremendous engine for the business, this 200-square-foot space on the 12th floor of an office building. And that was the aha moment that we had given our focus on comfort and fit that offline would be a really important part of the business because it was the place for new customers to come and have this Cinderella moment, we call it, when you've tried on several different widths and you have this aha about what size you really are and how comfortable the shoes really can feel. And so although online will and has always been our first foot forward, retail is a space for us to articulate all of those things that you can't really do online, um, kind of build out our world for our customer and also a destination for new customers to come in and find their fit. And then they can reorder online. So the relationship between online and offline is symbiotic in that way. Um, so we're really excited about the Georgetown opening. We opened a couple of days ago. It's off to a tremendous start. D.C. is our number two city online. We kind of watched a climb in the ranks and realized that's where we needed to go next. Our flagship store is in New York in the West Village. And we've experimented with pop-ups all over the country and are very excited to be in Georgetown. Talk a bit about who your competitors are. I mean, this is a very interesting model and approach, but you have competitors in this space. So right. how do you think about your competitors and your price points and some of those aspects of your product? So to understand and explain our competitors, we also have to define our customer for, for the people who are listening. So we have two customers. They are equally important to the brand, but they are very different. So we have the customer that looks like Alexa and I, who's, you know, say 25 to 30s, living in a city, working, is looking for a shoe that is versatile enough to keep up with her day and is looking for, you know, the right quality at the right price. And for that customer, we're often an upgrade from, say, a Tory Burch in terms of comfort mm -hmm. or a J. Crew in terms of quality and price. And then we're perhaps sitting alongside, and often we find that we share a customer with, you know, more of the D2C brands that have appeared over the last few years. So Rothy's, M. Jemmy, uh, Birdie's among them. And then we have our second customer who is uh, that customer's mother. So a customer who's maybe 50 plus, um, is both suburban and urban, more fluid kind of in geographic location. And that customer uh, really is attracted to the comfort and fit aspect of the brand. 
you know, perhaps has walked 20 years in bad shoes or shoes that weren't quite as comfortable as they needed to be, or perhaps her feet have changed over time. Often women's feet, you know, become uh, wider after they have children. And, and that customer really feels the need for these, these size and fit offerings that we give them and also wants something that makes them feel beautiful and dressed and confident. And for that customer, uh, she's often buying in multiples. Uh, and for that customer, we're also replacing perhaps luxury brands in her closet. So Stuart Weitzman, um, often Chanel. And uh, the, the price point for her is, is you know, less of a factor. Uh, she's really looking for something that fits that need of comfort and fit. You two went to college together. You both had job offers as you were graduating. Why not create this side hustle first? Why launch into business versus doing this on the side? What were you What were you thinking? We were totally crazy. <laughs> it was a terrifying <laughs> leap of faith. But I think we understood that in order to do this, especially as two people who had no business entering the world of footwear and retail, we needed to be all in. And in order to convince the experts that we needed to be on our team to kind of realize this vision, we needed to be all in for them. And uh, so that's exactly what we did. Uh, right after we graduated in 2014, we called our respective employers and um, told them about our new dream <laughs> and our passion for this business to be and got a two-person windowless office in Soho after moving to New York City and launched the business uh, the, ne the following May in 2015. And we took that first year to learn everything we needed to know about our customer and um, our product and what they really wanted and what they really cared about. And I think the biggest surprise from that first year among all of the things we learned was that this notion of fit was more meaningful to customers than we could have even anticipated. Mm -hmm. And that it was a real defensible moat because it was a need that hadn't really been met by the market um, because it's a brand that needed to be built direct to consumer. Um, retailers don't want to take on the inventory risk of widths and half sizes and an extended size range. And that we had a way to enter and disrupt what was a really big, noisy market in a really unique way. And so when we realized that, we, you know, we were off to the races. Oh, I would just add that we've received some very good advice early on when we were still seniors at Harvard from a professor who became a, a close friend and advisor to the brand, and, and he was really the one who pushed us and said, look, look you, can't, you can't do both, um, and you can't be all in on both things, and if you're you know, taking this job at a consulting firm and dreaming about Margot on the side, you won't be present 100% at work, and uh, so you really have to decide which way to go. Yeah. And and we realized that and, and we heeded that advice early on and now really appreciate it because this journey is so all consuming and it can really, you know, take you on a ride through tremendous highs, tremendous lows, uh, you know, often within the span of a day or an hour and you have to be all in to, to really make it and do it. And uh, part of that doggedness is what uh, also then leads to your success. Yeah. What about reactions from family and friends to say, hey, we're going to turn down two perfectly good jobs, one of you in consulting, as I understand, and the other mm -hmm. in finance. We're going to turn down two great jobs to pursue something that may not work. What did people say? What did your family say? 
my parents thought I was crazy. <laughs> they were both um, orthopedic surgeons, so they were very used to the uh, traditional path of building their careers. So, you know, medical school leads to residency, leads to fellowship, leads to a career in private practice. And to step away from all of that and go off in a direction of the unknown, I think they were very nervous. But then trusted me and trusted that I knew what I was doing and trusted that you know, we would be able to achieve what we set out to achieve. I am lucky in that I come from a family of entrepreneurs and a lot of people who like to beat to their own drums. <laughs> so there was at least a little bit of familiarity with this notion of wanting to go after it. Certainly shock and surprise and okay, let's see what you've got. Um, but um, wonderful support too. Yeah. Did you guys bootstrap the business in the beginning or did you immediately go out and seek funding or did you have help from your parents and friends? So we raised funding um, for product development. Um, We raised a seed round before we launched. Mm -hmm. That really helped us kind of dive into the product R&D that we needed to do to make this work. And then we raised uh, kind of more significant capital later on. Yeah. You know, I always hear these stories about when women in particular go to get funding. I mean, most of the time you're asking for funding from men. And Mm -hmm. one of the challenges that you can encounter, especially if it's a product that really is geared toward women. Mm -hmm. Did these guys understand the shoe shuffle? Was this something that was kind of mystifying to them? Did that create challenges for you? Where to begin about the (laughs) fundraising process? It is um, humbling in every sense of the word. And it's particularly humbling because, as you mentioned, you're often pitching uh, men who don't necessarily have empathy for the problem that you're trying to solve. So before you can even get to the metrics of the business and the merits of the business, you're often justifying why you're in the room and why you're making that product and why that's a problem that needs solving. And that puts you on uneven footing often when, you know, for example, they're considering alongside a product that they can wear, perhaps, or they can understand a bit better. Yes, exactly. I think we think a lot about, we would get the response very often, you know, oh, well, I should ask my wife, which, you know, immediately changes the tone of the conversation Mm -hmm. um, and the credibility, not because the wife wouldn't be brilliant, but because she's not an investor, potentially, of the idea. And I think Sarah and I would think step back and think, you know, I wonder, you know, would it be allowed, would a female investor be allowed to not understand a, men, a male product in the same way that we've kind of consistently faced this? Mm-hmm. Um, and we've noticed, like Sarah said, that the times that we've had a woman on the other side of the table has completely changed the tone of the conversation because we've spent so much less time describing what we're doing it and just diving into the business instead. And so many times those have resulted in the greatest partnerships, whether it's been, you know, investors or collaborations and beyond. Takes a good bit of chutzpah to do what you've done. Where does confidence come from for both of you? Is this something that's hardwired or is there something that you can point to to say this is kind of where it emanates from? We talk about this a lot Mm -hmm. on the podcast. It's a, you know, typical theme. We talk about how to well, A, where does it come from for you? And also, what do you do when it inevitably lags? You're going to have really crappy days. Mm-hmm. So where does it come from in the first place? Because jumping out there and doing what you have done and continue to do is really brave. 
you know, I don't know if it's as much confidence as it is just sheer belief in what we are building and this, the fundamental idea behind it. Mm -hmm. And certainly there are days when our confidence gets rocked. And I think those are the days where I personally feel so lucky to have Sarah and the partnership that we do have. I can't imagine riding the roller coaster of being an entrepreneur without a partner in crime. Um, because those are the times when you can step back and have faith in alongside another person of why you're doing what you're doing. The highs are so much more fun to celebrate with somebody else, but the lows are also much more easily navigated mm -hmm. with someone who also happens to be your best friend. Yeah, I'd second that. I, I would say candidly that I'm not a naturally confident person, but I have confidence in our partnership and we, our skill sets complement each other so well and I know that you know when you get the two of us together there's nothing that we can't or won't do and the other thing too is uh, you know we, we talk a lot about how experiences as college athletes actually have really benefited us in the entrepreneurial process so Alexa was a lacrosse player I was on the sailing team mm -hmm. and uh, and being an athlete you get knocked down every single day and often you get knocked down multiple times during a day and uh, it's similar to building a business you have these highs and lows and you learn to ride that and you learn to find the equilibrium in between yeah I love that okay how did you two meet you knew each other in college but did you meet in college we met our freshman year at Harvard at a cab stand very serendipitously we're hailing a cab at the same moment decided to take the cab together met and instantly hit it off became best pals and we're roommates by sophomore year, and we lived together uh, for the rest of college. And the idea for this brand was very much born out of time during our senior spring that we had to think about things. Um, and that kind of fundamental partnership and friendship is the foundation for sort of everything that we've built together. And I feel so lucky to have had that. How do you know a business partnership with your best friend is going to work. A lot of us have best friends that <laughs> yeah. might not be the best person to go into business with. So how do you know and what advice would you have for others who are contemplating something maybe uh, similar? That's a great question. We get that question a lot. Um, we, so you never really know, right? Um, but I think there are two things that we believe are absolutely key to a successful partnership whether you're friends first or whether you just meet and happen to you know, believe that you want to start something together. Trust is number one. So trusting that at the end of the day, the other person is going to have your back and that you're, and they believe that, that you are going to have theirs. And the other one is um, just having shared values, shared values on kind of what you place value on, but also then what you want the business or the partnership to become or be over time. And you know, sharing those things then just has, it lays a foundation um, for everything else that you do. And you can always come back to that and, and you're gonna disagree and you're gonna agree and you're gonna have those highs and lows. Uh, but if you share those two things and, and you have that trust, you have those shared values, um, you can weather any storm. Yeah. It sounds like you guys have very, you have skill sets that complement, but they're not the same skill sets. So talk mm. about the strengths that each of you bring that are really differences. Of course. I'll talk about Sarah. Sarah has a relentless commitment to an attention to detail, unlike anyone I've ever met. And so, her, you know, this 
affects and impacts so many parts of the business, and she really oversees internal operations. So that means finance, logistics, supply chain, product, factories, so many buckets of the business. And um, she understands how to dive into the weeds and tinker as well as she can also pull herself out and understand across all those buckets of the business what that means and how they impact each other. She's brilliant. She's the smartest person I know. Um, And she also, alongside all of her sort of ability to think linearly and analytically, is creative and kind of marries those two really well. And for a business like ours, that is sort of everything. So yeah, she is the sort of internal operator of the two of us, and um, she's the best at it. Yeah. Okay, Sarah, give me your assessment of Alexa. Very kind. Uh, (laughs) Alexa. Uh, Alexa, you know, I heard a a fellow entrepreneur uh, give an analogy the other day that I thought was really fitting of our partnership, and in the best way possible. you know, you have a balloon and you have a string. I am the string, and Alexa is the balloon. <laughs> and she is the one who kind of helps the business soar, and she's um, an incredible storyteller. And when we're, you know, pitching or telling someone the story of Margot, I immediately turn to her and I say, take it away, because she can, you know, craft this narrative and articulate this story of the brand and what we're trying to do and, and the vision for it that you know, makes you just want to get up and cheer. Um, And it's uh, amazing to me every time I hear it, and I hear it almost daily. And uh, in that way, she is really the the vision and and the big idea um, and the driving force every day that, um, you know, inspires the team and inspires me. And um, she's a natural extrovert of the two of us, so she oversees externally facing operations. So, Right now, that's a lot of retail, especially with the Georgetown. So, uh, you know, planning these amazing events, um, you know, designing the space uh, and the store and what that will look like, and then getting the word out about what we're doing, whether that's through press or social media. She um, runs our social media to this day um, and has created a really beautiful world that people can dive into there. Um, as well as then the content that we produce on our end too. So the stories that we tell on the blog, the images that we use to introduce products um, and and articulate the vision of the brand. What's the most valuable lesson you've learned about yourself, Alexa? Ooh, that's a great question about myself. No one's ever asked us that. No one's ever asked this question. I would say... The greatest lesson that I've learned as an entrepreneur, a first-time entrepreneur, is that, and it was a piece of advice given to me at the very beginning of us sort of on this journey, is that you don't have to be an expert in what you want to do. You just have to be willing to work hard enough to figure it out. And it seems so simple, but it is so powerful in so many ways. And I would say Sarah and I had no idea how to make a shoe or how to open a store, or how to stock a stock room, or how to be a sales associate, um, or how to build a website. And we've tried and learned and failed and succeeded and failed again and all of those things. And I think the second surprise is that that has been the best part about being the two people who are hanging the last paintings in our first store at one in the morning before we opened it the next morning. 
um, or being the first sales associates at our new Bloomingdale store in New York um, and having dinner at 10.30 p.m. in the stock room mm -hmm. that night bef and also getting kicked out of the stock room for having dinner in there because we didn't know you weren't allowed to do that. <laughs> and I think the journey of learning and trying and failing is um, more of a roller coaster than I thought it would be, but much more fun than I thought it would be too. Yeah. Sarah, how about you? Mm, there are two things that maybe aren't specific to me, but I think to our experience that have been great learnings. Um, the first is tied to retail, and it's timely because we have this Georgetown store, with, which just opened last week, but is the importance of that direct line to your customer. And we're at a tremendous advantage because we're a direct-to-consumer business, and we are talking to and hearing from and communicating with our customers on every touch point of the business, whether it's you know through the chat on the website or in our Instagram direct message box, or you know most importantly, the way that uh, they experience the product and the brand in the retail environment. And the last four days where Alexa and I have been, as we now call it, slinging shoes, um, <laughs> have been- On a, our all fours <laughs> with boxes everywhere <laughs> and women everywhere. <laughs> tossing the samples to each other to keep the line moving. Have been an unbelievable reminder of like why we do this um, and, and what this is all about. And, you know, for example, Alexa helped a customer yesterday who um, is this gorgeous girl and had never had a pair of heels that fit. And she finally came in and she was able to try on one of our extended sizes and almost burst into tears in the store because that was such an emotional moment for her to put on a pair of shoes and feel comfortable and feel beautiful and feel good in them and to feel heard by a brand. And that for us, you know, says everything about why we're doing this and, and what we need to continue to do because we want to keep creating those kinds of moments for our customers. I mean, that's really your, your why, you know, the impact that you want to have on other people. Yes, it's this very deeply emotional thing that women have you know, especially in stores, which is, oh my goodness, I can feel this comfortable and this beautiful, and I deserve to feel both at the same time. Mm -hmm. What's next? You're in the process of opening these stores, so what's the vision for the future? I think we understand the value of being experts at one thing and being known for being the best at that thing. So our focus is footwear for the foreseeable future. I think we think a lot about kind of what that next generation luxury footwear brand looks like, and we hope to be it by modernizing it in a more inclusive way. So inclusive when it comes to price, given our direct-to-consumer supply chain, inclusive when it comes to sizing by offering you know fit options that our customers cannot find anywhere else, um, and inclusive in our experience, kind of packaging everything that these luxury houses have done so beautifully, but. Uh, making it more accessible um, to our customers, both online and off. And um, we have great hopes and dreams and visions of this being kind of a next generation heritage brand and really something that lasts. So we'll continue to be patient with product rollouts and store openings, but we are in this for the long run. And in terms of what the next 12 months hold for us, the next 12 months are a period of what we expect will be transformational growth. The last 
few months have seen the team go from five people earlier this summer to now eight and within a few months we'll probably be 10 or 12 and so that's you know a, a growing moment uh, both on the external side of things but also on the internal side of things and so a lot of what we're thinking about in the day-to-day is the culture that we're trying to build and how we continue to maintain this family-like relationship with our employees and amongst our employees even as the business um, and the team grows and then on the product side of things too we've seen a huge demand um, perhaps surprising because we started uh, by making a flat in the heel side of things and so it's you know there's been a lot of innovation in the athleisure footwear more casual footwear uh, world and there's been less innovation on the dress footwear side of things and, and we've realized that our customer is really turning to us now as a an authority and a source for comfortable dress footwear and in that way then we've started to innovate and develop more products that really suit that dress footwear category. So higher heels, for example, mm-hmm. it's um, something that's in development right now, and I can't say exactly what's coming, mm-hmm. but a few things are coming in that uh, line of products, and uh, that's something that we believe firmly in, and, and our ability to you know, develop that and, and create something that's uniquely comfortable. Yeah. What about advice for dealing with setback? I think our advice is that if you're not feeling, you're not trying. So make decisions fast and pivot even faster (laughs) uh, because you'll find out what works and what doesn't work. And then I think success is not about making the right decision every time, but about iterating as quickly as you can once you've made a decision. Um, We take that approach to everything we do. So we never stop improving and redeveloping our products. Our most, you know, classic products have been tooled and retooled you know, countless times since we've launched them. And I think we take that approach with everything we do, whether it's stores or our website. Um, the most important quality in an entrepreneur is resilience. Mm-hmm. But after that, it's probably an appetite for risk. Yeah. I would completely second everything that Alexa said and, and you know, just second that nothing is sacred except for the values of the brand and those values are you know delivering exceptional comfort and quality and fit and inclusivity to our customer but other than that everything is up for experimentation testing development um, and in pushing ourselves in the boundaries of our business every day yeah you also have a great feature on your website and i think on social media too where you're showcasing what you call a go g-a-u-x girl Why, what are you doing with that? What are you hoping to accomplish? These are customers that you're mm-hmm. showcasing and talking about their stories. The series called The Go Girls is a series on women that inspire the brand. And why we love this series so much is it because it allows us to talk about why Margot is about so much more than the products we create. And it is about this woman that we are designing for and hopefully accommodating and empowering in her everyday life. And so the women that we feature span geography, age, industry, the kind of common thread is that they're all self-starting. And we love it as a platform to also kind of visualize and articulate the ways in which the shoes are kind of chameleons and they can adapt to those different contexts, whether it is age or geography or industry. So we can have a stylist in LA wearing them, we can have an artist in New York City, and we can have a venture capitalist in San Francisco. 
and we've done all of those things. And it's something that we started out kind of out of our own inspiration at the very beginning, and our customers have come to love it. So now we produce the series once every two weeks. Um, sometimes we localize it around new store openings or collaborations, um, but it provides real flex and range for the brand. And um, we have some very exciting Go Girls coming up in D.C. very soon. We ask every person who comes on the podcast for mm-hmm. a single piece of advice, a life hack, a mantra. You've already given us amazing advice. But if you had to boil it down to one thing, maybe you know advice that you would give your younger 20-year-old self as you were just launching this, what would that be? Mm. It's hard to choose between these two because I think that we've continued to learn these lessons over and over again, but focus is invaluable. So keeping your eye on the ball, whatever that ball is, uh, will keep you disciplined and it will... Uh, help you work with limited resources, whether it's time or funding. Um, And, and focus is, you know, focus on footwear, and then, you know, further into footwear, comfort and fit is how we've gotten to where we are. We defined this niche for ourselves. and, And we're really the only people who are doing it in the way that we're doing it with the size inclusive offering, combined with the inclusive luxury aspect that Alexa was talking about before. And now every decision that we make, we're able to point back to that and say, does this fit into what we're trying to do as a business, as a brand, and as entrepreneurs? And if the answer is no, then we don't do it. And that has kept us sane uh, in terms of what we've attempted to take on, but it's also kept our mission and you know our behavior as a business really clear and consistent and articulate for our customer. And then the second thing, too, and Alexa, I think, mentioned this before, is that often risks, the greatest risk leads to the greatest rewards. And this is a lesson that we've had to learn again and again and again. And, you know, I think as female entrepreneurs in particular, you can sometimes be risk averse and you have to push yourselves to constantly say, no, we can do that or we will do that. So we can do that or we will do that or I believe, you know, that this is possible and this is something that we've learned time and again, whether it's with fundraising or product development or taking the brand, for example, from e-com into retail. And so we're constantly pushing ourselves to evaluate what those risks are, whether they're worth it, and uh, believing then that that we're confident enough and we're capable enough to achieve what we we set out to. Yeah, that's great. Alexa, how about you? Um, my nugget of wisdom, which is perhaps ironic because I think we continue to need to relearn it ourselves, is that you will never get what you don't ask for. And I mean, even last week, three times, it was like we found out somebody wanted to be a go-girl. We, and I remember writing to Sarah, can you believe she wants to be a go-girl? We really just like, took a shot by writing to this woman who we've long admired and are over the moon to feature as we are everyone we feature. And it happens in fundraising, and it happens with collaboration. Um, you know, so often we assume the answer would be no. We just don't even bother to ask, and we are constantly surprised that those times that we do, the worst thing that we could hear is you know, not right now, and the best thing is the sheer shock we feel every time we do hear yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think you know it's something we constantly need to remind ourselves. But it is certainly one of the best pieces of, adv- of advice we've gotten from an advisor. Mm-hmm. 
Sarah, Alexa, thank you so much. This was terrific. Thank you for having thank us. For this having was so us. much fun. It's really, really fun. To learn more about Alexa, Sarah, and their made-to-measure shoe company, Margo, check out the show notes for this episode. We're at episode 71, I'm happy to say. I'll include a few links and some photos from our visit today, and we'll also be posting on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And if you're a regular listener to She Said, She Said, you know that you will always find incredible women like Alexa and Sarah and inspiring stories, valuable perspective on navigating work and life. These women lead in ways that have a positive impact on others every single day. Thanks so much for listening and being part of our growing She Said, She Said community.